This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences. And now I'm excited about a new natural wellness line from Plus CBD, CBD Calm and CBD Sleep. CBD Calm helps ease tension, soothe irritability, and contributes to a greater sense of contentment through a blend of Plus CBD's award-winning full-spectrum CBD, plus L-theanine, and 5-HTP. CBD Sleep aids occasional sleeplessness with CBD plus melatonin, as well as soothing magnolia bark extract and relaxing lemon balm so you can get the rest you need and wake up alert and focused. Both products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And this is a podcast I'm very, very much uh, looking forward to doing uh, because it's a reprise of a podcast that we did with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald uh, last year on the subject of methylation. But uh, there's a new theme. Uh, Dr. Fitzgerald is the author of a landmark study which relates lifestyle factors, diet, sleep, nutrition, supplements, stress reduction, to anti-aging. And I believe it, it may be the first study of its kind that links all these interventions, a multifaceted intervention, to life extension. Very, very exciting. Uh, she has also uh, encapsulated some of this information in a book, which is just out, new for 2022, it's called Younger You, and it documents some of the lifestyle measures that you can implement, practical measures that can literally extend your life. Dr. Fitzgerald is a naturopathic physician. She received her doctorate at the National College of Natural Medicine, Portland, Oregon, one of the foremost naturopathic schools in the country. And she is also the medical director of a clinic in Connecticut, and she's uh, actively engaged in clinical research using diet and lifestyle intervention, things that she uses in her practice to help people get healthier and literally extend life. She's on the faculty of the Institute for Functional Medicine. She lectures frequently to health practitioners and the public, and uh, her practice is in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. So welcome back, Kara. It's a pleasure having you, and once again, congratulations on your paper. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you and continue our conversation. Well, indeed. And the paper appeared in uh, a mainstream journal uh, called Aging. And uh, in it, uh, you detail a very comprehensive intervention, which we're going to get into. What were the components of that uh, intervention? Uh, but the key concept here is something called epigenetics. And by that, we contrast epigenetics to genetics. Genetics means what your endowment is in your chromosomes, and that, to some extent, determines your fate. 
but we can modify that right. with our behaviors. So could you help us with that distinction? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, uh, you have carte blanche to interrupt me if I go too deep or you need to clarify anything. So I just want to give you a little bit of the backstory because it's fascinating. You know, we mapped the human genome out in the early 2000s and discovered we had about 23,000 genes, which is a simple genome as compared to, say, a plant's far more sophisticated. Uh, obviously, that was a, a momentous occasion. And, but it did something fascinating. So we, we realized things were a little bit more simple with our genetic material. Um, and, and so the promise of, you know, one gene, one disease, or really being able to identify genetic mutations or genetic variants and, and the causes of disease, you know, just fell flat. It wasn't successful. Uh, you know, or, or at least I should say it was just very modestly so. Um, and that opened the floodgates to the era of epigenetics. And that is the components that regulate which genes get turned on and which genes are turned off. Epi is above. Genetics, of course, is the, is the genome. And we now are focusing our attention on those biochemical marks that happen on our genetic material that enable genes to be turned on and to be turned off. And we realize that that's, that's the mother load. And it's this area that is regulated by environment, by what we do, by what we eat, how much we sleep, whether we're exercising, what we're thinking, what our experience was when we were young. Even It's even heritable, and we can talk about that as well meaning that some of our early of our ancestors experience i should say you know going right now it, it like our immediately preceding generations their epigenetic patterns on their dna might influence us as, as well and so it's just this huge exciting time in science where we can look at environment and how it regulates genetic expression and we can also start to see what we can do about it in real time. So I just want to stop there and see if you sure. Have any I, questions. I just I just thought of an analogy. Uh, I just made this up. So you know, if I'm on the wrong track, uh, you know, interrupt me. But uh, it's a little bit like uh, the genetics is a little bit like an orchestra. You know, you may have a, a 90 piece uh, orchestra in a philharmonic uh, auditorium, uh, but uh, very different types of music. Uh, can emanate from that orchestra, uh, depending on yes. how uh, the musicians play their instruments. And the epigenetics is the expression of that genetic potential. You uh, say you have an orchestra and it doesn't have a, a kettle drum. Okay, well, that limits your repertoire in terms of certain uh, operas and, and concerts. Uh, but uh, what really determines the outcome is how that... Uh, these instruments are played. And I guess epigenetics is the turning on and turning off of these instruments. Am I, am I on the right track there? You are. And I'll, I'll actually give you, that's great. <laughs> I'll give you a, an analogy that I used in my book. I have to say, I resonate with your orchestra analogy as, you know, since I was a musician for many years, but in our book, my, uh, co-author and and study advisor, Dr. Moshe Saf, who's a McGill epigeneticist, he talks about our genome as being our hard, 
our, our hardware and okay. our epigenome is our software. Right. Right. So the hardware just kind of hangs out in, our, in the computer unless it's filtered through software, right? It's kind of not doing anything unless mm-hmm. it goes through my Microsoft Office program or my, you know, uh, PDF maker or whatever. And, and then they account for the extraordinary versatility of our uh, of our bodies, uh, even given that, well, you look, we have hundreds of thousands of uh, codes, uh, but uh, that even that is limited in terms of the virtually limitless expression of our genetic potential. And and actually, that's that's kind of an encouraging message because uh, in your book, uh, you you write about the concept that. Genes dictate our fate, and there's sort of a fatalistic view. Is like, okay, you know, here's your genes. Uh, you know, your IQ is going to be 84. Uh, you know, you know, you're going to be a mass murderer, uh, or you're going to be a genius. Right. Uh, you know, is it is that too simplistic? Well, I mean, I just really want to challenge that. In fact, I was um, tussling with a, a mission statement. So in light of the study, we're going to do, you know, we're going to do future research and, and my, and I'm putting a lot of tension on, on epigenetics and biological age. And, and the reason is, so as I was sort of sussing out my new mission statement, um, you know, beyond being a clinician in clinical practice, it's this idea of allowing people to get into the driver's seat of genetic expression and that we're not at uh, we're not destined to be an axe murderer or whatever we think we're locked in is locked into our genome. We've got so much power uh, around how our genes are expressed. A lot of power. In fact, I was just talking to a colleague in front of mine, Dr. David Perlmutter, who pointed out, you know, along with this power comes great responsibility. I mean, we sit in the driver's seat of whether we want to age. Um, you know, with a good deal of health and have a beautiful and long health span, or, you know, whether we're going to uh, fall prey to the fate of so many. In fact, the majority of us spend the last 16 years of our lives in this country with multiple diagnoses and on multiple um, medications and really suffering from, you know, the chronic diseases of aging. And I'm just radically... Yeah, it turns yeah. out that even the most deterministic genes, you know, the so-called breast cancer gene, the BRCA genes, uh, and the so-called Alzheimer's genes, the APOE4 gene that uh, increases one's risk uh, for Alzheimer's and dementia, that these are not entirely deterministic, that they can, yes. even those genes can be modified to the point where yes. uh, people who are, have these genes end up having uh, average risk or even lower than average risk through uh, proper tuning through epigenetic modification through lifestyle. So what I would say about that is you're absolutely correct. Um, and yes, and, and again, especially the BRCA gene I, I, I speak about in the book. Uh, so you're absolutely correct. We know from, you know, looking at, at blood specimen pre-1965 that those with the BRCA mutation had a much lower incidence of cancer than they do post-1965. And now, if you look at the statistics on individuals who have the BRCA mutation, you know your risk of getting a cancer is up in the you know high 70s to, 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 to 80%. So the risk is really high. And for that reason, women think about uh, getting prophylactic surgeries like hysterectomies or, or mastectomies. And um, 
and you're right. You're right. Environment plays a big role, even as strong the risk is. The environment plays a big role. But the caveat, the caveat here, is that we don't know how to test yet for the individual who's done all the correct uh, environmental things, who's done the right diet, et cetera, et cetera, and has reduced their risk to zero. Like that, that bridge to say, okay, your environment is locked in. You're not going to get cancer. We haven't, we haven't made that, but we'll cross that road soon. I absolutely believe that we'll be able to do these kinds of sophisticated risk assessments in the not so distant future. And so individuals with these mutations um, that have a bigger risk profile, you know, will be able to say, yep, you're doing everything right. And, and some, of that, yet, some of that may come with the artificial intelligence uh, revolution, because uh, sometimes, and as you know, you know, as a clinician, we look at all these blood tests and, you know, the human brain is only capable of making so many associations. Yes. We, we try to have yes. some pattern recognition. We have tons of tests in front yes. of us. But sometimes with machine learning, uh, these patterns uh, can emerge and we can use uh, computers to crunch the data for us to come up with a better assessment. Yes. I mean, I think that's that's where the future lies. But coming back to your study, um, are there is is there evidence uh, that diet can impact your biological age? Yeah, it's very exciting. Yes, um, yes, and and so we know there's a handful of studies out that suggested you know, that a healthier, sort of a generically healthier eating pattern um, could be associated with a modest reduction in biological age. So around the time that we published, there was a year-long Mediterranean diet that in a subset of individuals who had adhered to the diet, a small subset, you know, they actually had a, a, a modest reduction in their biological age. The thing that was unique about our study or is still unique is that it was only it's eight weeks in duration. So it was a short term, a Mm -hmm. very short term. Yes. And we, with our intervention, we had a over three year biological age reduction as compared to the control group. So it's still, well, a, we're the first study to have a control group looking at biological age reversal and B to show that significant of a turnaround in that short of a time. Incidentally, the people in the control group uh, during even during the study period, they seemed to age a bit. They continued to age. They did. Yeah, Yeah, it was a little bit. I mean, they did. They did, and it was. They shouldn't have aged. They. It's not significant, but yeah, they definitely got older. It looks. It looks like they picked up smoking. We just. I mean, the simple. The reality is, is that we need to just keep investigating it. but fabulously for us, we saw our uh, participants get younger as compared with the with themselves at baseline, okay. and as compared to our control group. So, so this is the tricky part: is you know, how do you assess your biological age? I mean, do you look in the mirror, you know, and it's like oh, less wrinkles, yeah. uh, you know, or do you you know see how many push-ups people can do, or you know, how fast can they, uh, you know, do a a quarter mile on a track or on a treadmill? Uh, there's so many ways to, or to assess, and there's so many systems of the body: intelligence tests, uh, you know, breathing tests, uh, strength tests. So it, many things have been proposed, but you you hit them on a a very ingenious, uh, simple methodology to assess age that you used for your study. Can you tell us about that? 
Yes. And I can also, t- I want to tell you some really cool research coming out, really kind of validating this tool. So we sure. used, um, we looked at epigenetics. So we looked at, at, at DNA methylation, and this is a biochemical um, process that happens on DNA. So with, an, and a methyl group, as I'm sure your listeners know, is a carbon and three hydrogens. Um, there is an enzyme a family called DNA methyltransferase. And when these, when these enzymes put methyl groups down on the promoter region of a gene, that gene is turned off or that gene cannot be turned on. Conversely, we can inhibit methyl groups from being placed on a promoter region or we can actually actively remove them via DNA um, demethylation, and there's a family called TET of the enzymes that remove them. So we can put them down, we can inhibit them from being put down, and we can actively remove them. And in so doing, we can direct which genes can be turned on and which genes can be turned off. Now, it turns out that uh, a, a scientist out of UCLA by the name of Steve Horvath, who certainly will hopefully get the Nobel Prize for his uh, his genius around this, developed a biological age clock using DNA methylation patterns. Um, and he did it over the lifespan, looking at thousands of individuals. So he could see, for example, if you look at the methylation patterns in utero, that they're negative. They haven't been born yet, so they're negative. Mm-hmm. But as wow. soon as they're, you know, as soon as they're born, yeah, when we, we had some extra tests left when we were doing our study. And so I did it, my people in the office did it. And my daughter, who was three years old at the time, did it. And you could see huge difference between her biological age and the patterns there as opposed mm-hmm. to us adults. Um, but it's, pre- so, so you can see these predictable changes across the lifespan. And his first um, his first biological age clock, really the sort of the gold standard slash flagship clock, and it was the one that we used in our study, um, predicts, uh, it, it correlates with chronological age so, so, so tightly. Um, the correlation coefficient is 0.96. By comparison, telomeres, which has been... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our, much touted, you know, our, like the little uh, tips of your uh, chromosomes. That's thought, you know, you want to have yes. long tips so your chromosomes don't unravel and then it's uh, game over. That's right. And it's and it's been our tool to assess biological age. And there are, and I, and I don't want to poo-poo telomeres because I think they're an important tool for many reasons, but they don't, they're not a good biological age tool. It's without question, DNA methylation uh, clocks have supplanted um, using telomeres. So we need, we can't run studies for, you know, the 80 plus years your the average human is alive and actually come up with decent intervention. So we need these surrogate markers, these markers, these solid markers of biological age to let us know whether we're making a difference. And the gold standard has become these DNA methylation clocks. And so that's what we looked at. However, people of the same age chronologically can have different biological ages, right? Yes, that's right. That's absolutely, yes, exactly. And so that's what we were looking at. We were looking at uh, whether or not our intervention favorably changed the biological age. Um, But absolutely, I mean, somebody who's really putting a lot of attention into their health, maybe they've never smoked, they've always exercised you know, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly they have 
a likely chance that they're going to be biologically younger than a same-aged individual who's, you know, smoked their whole lives, perhaps, you know, eaten, eaten fast food, etc., doesn't exercise. So, yes. Okay. So, and but there, there are other tests that uh, you encourage people to take in the book uh, besides this method. Yep. By the way, the methylation test, this is available to people commercially. They can uh, yes. obtain the test. Yes, you can. And I do have references in the book for where you can get them. I will say folks who are interested in accessing a good biological age test um, plus a little bit more will, can work with us through our app. So we're, we're, we're releasing an app also oh, along with cool. the book. Um, called it, it's, yeah, it's called three YY three years younger. Yeah. and in that you that's can the work future of health books. By the way, is that it's not just a, a written book that you put on the coffee table. It's interactive. You have yes. an app. You can actually uh, you know yes. take uh, uh, interactive quizzes and um, yes, that's exactly input data. Right. So that's yes. that's that's brilliant. Yes. Good for you. And that's what yeah, that's what we're doing. Well, thank you. It's extremely exciting. And so this digital platform is for anyone who really wants to be walked through what we did very carefully, as well as inviting, invited to the next generation of investigation. So our study intervention is just where you start. And then you take off after that and, you know, layer different interventions in. I mean, sky's the limits, depending on what your goals are for longevity. Right. And, and then you, you list a, a menu of tests that you know, should people see a health practitioner or should yeah. they come to your office, uh, you would undergo a battery of tests. And uh, you list the uh, conventional norms for the test and then your yes. a little more persnickety norms. For example, hemoglobin A1C. <laughs> hemoglobin A1C has to be below, what, 6.2 or 6.4 to get a diagnosis of right. diabetes. And, the, you know, between 5.7 and, you know, 6.2 is, is borderline. Uh, but you, uh, you're going for the gold. You want people to have optimal hemoglobin A1C. And that's just one among many yes. tests that people can undergo yeah. to assess their, their uh, longevity potential. That's right. So I think that these DNA methylation clocks are where they're where it's at. I think they're the most rigorous, uh, and that will and we will be using them in clinic pra clinical practice routinely. It's only a matter of, of time, and they don't supplant those tried and true tests that we as doctors have been using in practice forever. Um, but we do know that there are optimal ranges. And so I wanted to put out a selection of what I think are the most correlative with biological age and give the best ref the optimal reference ranges. And so that's what I did in the book. Those tests are all uh, reasonably easy to obtain. Most of them you get in your annual physical. And, and again, you can upload your results into the app and uh, we'll help you calculate your bioage from those standard blood tests. Or you can go for the gold and, and get your DNA methylation age or, you, you know, you can do both. And incidentally, actually, just thinking about the book, we've got a um, biological age subjective questionnaire. So yes. uh, you can layer that in as well. And, you know, we ask questions related to your health and your lifestyle and your habits, et cetera, um, which, which will calculate a biological age as well. And so there's a whole host of angles um, that you can get at your biological age. And along with having those 
numbers, you know, you're also getting concurrently areas that you need to address. So I work on this all the, all the time myself, um, but I see in the BASA, you know, things that I could improve. I work more than I should. I'm hanging right. out with friends not as often as I should be. Right. You know, there's really, there's clear direction in there when you take the uh, the quiz. I, I, I love it. I think we did a nice job designing that, my team and I. Right. And it's a, it's a teachable moment too. You know, it creates uh, yes. self-awareness and people can uh, look at areas in their life where they can improve and uh, optimize. Yes. Good stuff. All right. And your website where this is available is uh, drfitzgerald.com? drkarafitzgerald.com. So okay. Dr. Kara Fitzgerald is my sort of all-encompassing clinic and everything else website. Or you can go to youngeryouprogram.com and just see the book and the digital program. Great. So either, either place. Okay, good stuff. All right, well, uh, in part two, we're going to pause now, but in part two, I want to delve down into the study and what you actually did with the subjects in the study yep. uh, to achieve the anti-aging benefits. Uh, the lifestyle measures, sleep, exercise, uh, measures to control environmental pollution and stress, uh, as well as specific supplements. Uh, look forward to that in part two. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Uh, she uh, is in private practice in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.